Welcome to Maximum Mom with Elise Bowie, where you'll hear from women who are navigating the same messy journey as you. Lawyering, entrepreneurship, and mothering. What a trifecta. We're here to share tips, resources, wins, losses, and encouragement for moms who are raising a family while building a law firm. So you feel less alone in your journey toward a fulfilling career and being the best mom you can be. Welcome to the Maximum Mom podcast. I am so excited today. First, we never do a podcast this early in the morning, which like totally makes me happy because right, I am you're such out. a morning girl. You're out west. I forgot about that. I'm over here in Tampa. So it's like lunchtime almost. Yeah. <laughs> when I saw it on my calendar, I was like, "Ooh, how fun. We get to do this in the morning. <laughs> well, today I am so excited to have Christine DiOrio. And do you love the name? She explained it to me. It's Oreo with a D in front. So I love that. Thanks, Christine, for joining me. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to be here. So thank you for having me. And I was just telling you before we started that I have I'm a fangirl (laughs) of Elise Bowie. I have kind of modeled a lot of what I've done after what you've done. We have a lot of the same shared values with family law, especially based on what I've seen and different things you've done. And so I'm like really excited to be here and get to talk to you. Oh, well, and I am so excited. I literally feel like I could talk to you for a day. I mean, I don't know that anyone else would want to listen. (laughs) You and I, we should plan for that sometime. I think that's a great idea. Because your story is amazing. And I actually, I don't, I don't want to tell your story. I actually want you to tell your story. I mean, first I'll just let people know that you currently, you're an attorney in Tampa. You live with a blended family you have some real interesting interests, like you love photography, all that self-empowerment things, and writing and speaking about substance abuse as they relate to the law. So I would love for you to just walk us through your story, because it is one of resilience and grit like none other. It's, yeah, it is. And it's hard to tell it in a good, cohesive way. So bear with me, because it's a lot. But yes, I am a family law attorney, Tampa, Florida, primarily family law. We have opened an estate planning division this year. That's going really well. And I know you do that too. So, and I still do some criminal, very uh, picky and choosy, but my background uh, before I opened my own law firm was all criminal. So I always tell people like, I need a few criminals hanging around to kind of keep myself sane because family law, you know, it's a whole thing. So, yeah, I mean, I think from a, from my legal career is probably the easiest way to kind of get into everything that happened. So I went to Florida State for law school. And during law school, I had two children. I was married. Um, So I did the whole pregnancy thing. I took the bar exam like eight months pregnant. (laughs) But anyway, my family was very prominent in the legal community in Gainesville, Florida. That's where I grew up. So My stepfather was a county judge and my mom was the chief deputy clerk of the court. She retired after 48 years there. So she ran the courthouse. So of course I was able to get a job at the state attorney's office after law school because everybody knew my family. So about three years into being a state attorney, I had just gotten promoted to felony. Unfortunately, I had started going through a divorce. So I had two small children going through divorce And I had struggled with substance abuse before. And in fact, I had stopped drinking before I went to law school because I knew it's kind of like, I can't do that. So I had actually sobered up 
my husband at the time was also an alcoholic who continued to drink. So I had two small children, law school, become a prosecutor. Then my marriage starts to fall apart. And unfortunately, I started drinking again during my divorce, which I'm sure a lot of people going through divorce can understand. And the sad thing was after my divorce, which was very bad, it was not amicable. Of course, I wanted it so badly to be, but he wasn't there at the time. It was so much stress. I got promoted to felony. And I think it was literally like three weeks later, I was leaving a work Christmas party with other prosecutors. It was a Christmas party with a bunch of lawyers. Everybody was drinking, Um, but I had too much to drink and I got arrested for DUI and being a prosecutor was a big deal. (laughs) So I woke up in jail the next morning and I had to go do first appearance in front of the judge I had just practiced with for like the last year. She was in tears during my first appearance. I was in tears. It was it was to say it was like traumatizing, oh. devastating, the worst mugshot you've ever seen. Because oh. I was drunk, you know, and I don't I don't play around with that. I was I shouldn't have been driving. Luckily, my children that night were with their father. You know, nothing like that. But still, I had to resign. You know, um, and the state attorney was a dear family friend, and he was devastated. I just put everybody in such a bad position. It was awful, awful. But I had been one of the prosecutors that the public defender's office liked. I was—I really never was meant to be a prosecutor. So that's that's number one. But um, the public defender at the time called me, or actually called my mom and said, we love Christine. Would she be interested in coming over here? And I had two small children to support. So less than a month later, I walked back into the courtroom. And there was snickers and sneers and things said, and you know, but then of course there were also some incredible moments of with some of the most gracious human beings. To this day, I hold on to many of them are now judges in Gainesville, but they were so kind to me. And that judge that I had practiced in front of, she actually opened her chambers to me and was like, Look, if you need a break and you're having a bad day you use my chambers, you come in here, decompress, whatever. So, so much, so many people were kind to me. So then I went and did five more years as a public defender. And I worked, it it was so rewarding. I worked with other, and my favorite cases obviously were other moms with addiction. And I just did some amazing work, but the flip side to the public defender life is, you know, you're not getting paid that much. And the higher up you get, they reward you with the worst cases, attempted murder and pedophilia and all this. And I was just so burnt out. So while all that's happening, my ex-husband and I remained in this really contentious space. We had a modification. We had a relocation. I mean, it was like we were in court for five years and always like this. But I did meet a wonderful man during this time. And I got married, and but his job was in Tampa. And so when we got pregnant, we had to do a reload. Right. And we ended up bringing everybody down to Tampa. So even my ex-husband came with us. So we all came down here to Tampa after the reload. And I was on maternity leave for a while. And I should say, because I didn't say before, I never have had another drink. So the moment I woke up in jail, as devastating as it was, it was actually kind of a relief. Because I had been trying to pass as a functional, <laughs> functioning alcoholic and, you know, wake up in jail as a prosecutor pretty much can't do, can't drink. 
So <laughs> I never drank again, though. That was it for me. Like okay. it was a moment of surrender and a very spiritual moment for me that I walked away. I spent a, three solid years in therapy. I did not go the route of AA. I had done AA in the past, but I needed some heavy duty mm-hmm. therapy because I think the source kind of of my drinking, unfortunately, my brother passed away when I was 23. He was 21 and he died of a drug overdose. Um, and my mom found him and he was not a drug abuser. He was just, it was like Oxycontin. This was 2001 when it first came, didn't realize how dangerous it was. Is it, you know, you see it now with the fentanyl kind of the same thing. Like people didn't realize how dangerous it was devastating. Um, so I had to do some pretty heavy duty work around on that, but to do the relocation. And the other great news is my ex-husband sobered up the same time I did. Oh my craziest thing. Right. And he's still sober today too. So we both are 13 years sober. And when, and it's so funny, like we just couldn't do it married, (laughs) but but we did it apart. And then um, when we moved to Tampa, I made the deal with him because I had majority time sharing because I got divorced right before we moved into the more 50-50 world that we live in today. But anyway, by the time we moved to Tampa, I agreed to give him 50-50. And that's what let him go ahead and agree to Tampa. And it was like a magic bullet. We still have our moments, I would say. It's not my best friend. We don't go on vacations together. I'm not one of those. I mean, God bless the couples that can continue to do that. I did not know. But we have a beautiful co-parenting relationship. And when you talk to my kids, the older two, they're 18 and 16 now, they don't know that me and their dad were fighting like that when they were little, because they were one in three when we split up. So I've been like living and breathing this whole life, right? With with blended family. I had another daughter, which blended us so beautiful. I have, my husband's like the most amazing stepdad. I have this great co-parenting relationship. I was home on maternity leave, taking a break when we moved to Tampa from the law. You know, I was burnt out. And with COVID, and it was kind of like, okay, I got to go back to work. Because I had opened a photography business for a little while and done that while I was on maternity leave. But, you know, when you have teenagers, college, it's like, I got this law degree, student loans. I kind of need to go back to work. So I was like, well, what am I going to do? I can't go be a public defender again. I, did, I knew I really didn't want to do jury trial work anymore because I did so many jury trials. Right. So I said, you know what? I'll do family law. You know, I went through all of what I went through. I feel like I can really share some experience, strength, and hope with my clients. I really love that about being an attorney, the counselor side of it. Totally. But it was naive. So I was like, family law? It's kind of, what? It can't be harder than criminal law. Oh, my gosh. That's like grabbing the tiger by his tail, like, oh, oh, this is a whole thing. Like, it's robust and it is complex. And so the first thing I did was I found an amazing mentor, Nancy Brodsky. She has Brodsky and Jacobs. It's her law firm in Fort Lauderdale. And she, I met with her every week for a long time because I was so overwhelmed. I was like, wow, this, yeah, but I opened right in the middle of COVID. So add something else to it. And, um, you know, but, and didn't know anybody here. So that was the other thing was all of my prior work was Gainesville. My family knew me, you know, I had a little bit of a name for myself. Totally. Nobody in Tampa cares. So I had to start from scratch down here. And so I have built this virtual law firm 
And now we have a team of six. We opened in COVID. We've got a team of six. We're fully virtual. We do have an office space. But I don't know. I know I'm talking your ear off. I, I don't know if you want me to keep going. And, just, and, or do you, oh, your story just, just boggles my mind how, I mean, you have gone through so much. I mean, I really, I just first want to tell you, I mean, kudos to you for like, I mean, just the whole thing, stopping drinking. I mean, really coming to that place. That is amazing. And I just, wow, your strength of character to be able to deal with that. And just the, so many people think of all the people pleasing and we all worry about what people think. You going back into the public defender's office and dealing with the, I mean, you know how people are, the yibber yabber, but being able to literally find the good in those people that are supporting you. I can only imagine how many people can relate because how many of us have driven with too much to drink? I mean, like- Every right. single one of us, at least once in our lives, probably. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's like by the grace of God, it's go I, you know. Absolutely. For and sure. it's just, I mean, I just, I really just think it is amazing. I mean, I love, though, that you turned it into now being able to start this practice in family law and bring that to the forefront. I mean, your children are so lucky to have you as a mom, have your their stepdad and their dad who got sober. I mean, that is some powerful work for them to know about. Crazy, right? And uh, we are so, and we're like a good team. You know, we just yeah. went to Easter service, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And my ex-husband and my husband were sitting next to each other in the pew. And it's just like, We get together. We, you know, like I said, we're not all best friends, but we really do play nice and we always put the kids first. And so that putting our own things on the side and really focusing on their needs there, they have benefited from that. And it wasn't like that in the beginning. And so that's one of the things that I really try to help my clients see that even in the beginning, if it's really contentious, there's still always hope you, you know, each part of your divorce is a season And there is another side of it. So one of the things I've been doing is trying to educate my clients through the practice of, you know, their cases. And, you know, I just had a conversation with a client last week who was frustrated with how slow it was going. And, you know, why, why isn't he having to do this? Why doesn't he have to do that? Well, there are more aggressive, you know, tactics we can take right now, but what is going to happen after that? Right. You know, is, are you going to get the desired result? No, because the court here still makes you go to mediation first before yeah. you can get anything heard by a judge. So if you go and just file a bunch of stuff to show him who's boss, it's still not going to actually, anything's not going to actually change, except that now he's going to be even more dug in and more and more ready to fight. And you're trying to raise four kids with this guy. This will end, you know, and I always tell them nothing in this process should become so nasty that it's impossible for you to co-parent when it's over. Exactly. That is, you know, and the family law system's broken because, you know, and I know there's a movement where we're working towards more, we are getting slow incremental changes, but at least in Tampa and Florida, it's still very adversarial, you oh. know, and that's still the traditional route. And, you know, I tell them all the time, like, it's good for me. My bottom line is great. If we're going to litigate every issue, but it is not good for your kids, 
It's not good for your own peace of mind. And so I really do try, you know, some cases they just get nasty. There's just no, no amount of, you can say it. it, You need two people to be willing to try to be decent. But yeah, I don't know. That was my, my biggest calling I felt was just that, you know, a lot of people like, well, you were always nice with your ex. No, no, I wasn't. Like we really fought over those kids a lot. And it was not, it was awful living like that. And I can really see those two parts of my life. And I'm like, I should, you know, I should have given in sooner. I would have saved myself, you know, decide what really matters. Right. Well, and it is, I mean, I too, I mean, I get along with my ex now in a completely different way than I did when we first split. I mean, it was sending nasty emails, you know, those clickety clackety emails that everyone in the house can tell you're angry. And, you know, it was awful. Whereas now it's completely different and has been for several years. But I mean, that takes a lot of, I think, self-actualization, you know, and some real work internally to be able to let go of many things. I mean, yes, could I write down thing after thing after thing that he has done? I mean, you know, I mean, from just a fiscal, I mean, the amount of money I am owed is unbelievable. But I literally had to, at some point, just say, I am going to let go of all that. Like, I am not going down this road. I am going to earn circles around this guy. And I am not going to care that he owes me all this money. And like, it just. Amen. That's what I, same exact thing with me. I just wasn't worth it. You know, and I have well-meaning family members, you know, oh, why did you, well, you let him get away with everything, you know? And, but what was really important wasn't the money. It was my peace. And there's no price that you can put on my peace. You know, and so when I finally gave that up, yeah, and that's why I try to tell my clients all the time, like, you can make more money, you know, you know, going to war over an alimony payment because you feel entitled to it and they really don't want to pay. Is that really worth dragging your family when they can get out of paying it? Exactly. They don't even, there's so many games they can play with it. So it's like, let's just focus on getting you some solid child support, you know, maybe a lump sum on your alimony can't be modified in Florida after it's some, you know, some things like to keep things moving along. But I know there are attorneys out there, their business model is literally like litigate more things to file as much as you can file, you know, make it as complex as possible because the billable hour, that's how you're going to make more money. But, you know, even as an attorney though, that's not I know so many miserable family law attorneys. Completely. Yes. Well, and I don't understand it from, I mean, I have big, strong opinions about this. Like we as attorneys, we owe it not only to ourselves, but our teams and then our clients to be helping them to get to the other side of this constructively rather than encouraging. It kills me when I see an attorney encourage your client to write these absolutely wildly histrionic declarations. And I'm like, do you really want this in the court record? Do you really want one day a child to go and read this? Like, is this what I'm like? No. Can we please try to think about the impact on our co-parenting relationship? Because right now is such a tiny blip in your co-parenting life. Yes. That, and that, that's my whole, I just, 
harp on it over and over and over again with my clients because it's so easy to just get myopic and lose that perspective because you're in this for a lot of people. So I've been through a lot of hard times. You know, I lost my brother. I've been in jail. I mean, but for a lot of people, you know, my divorce is probably like, you know, down on the list of most traumatic experiences. But for a lot of my clients, it is the most traumatic thing they've gone through. And rightly so, they say behind death, jail comes divorce for most stressful events for an adult. And it's easy to just lose perspective and just feel like this is going to be like this forever. So I feel like my role besides leading someone compassionately through the legal system, but is really to provide some perspective from my own experience, you know, and so I'm very open with all of yeah, most of them. I would say there's some clients just mm, probably not really interested in a lot of that, but most of my clients, that probably the reason they're attracted to my office is because right. I'm a little bit different. I'm not your average divorce lawyer. And, you know, I'm not like the pit bull and the shark and, you know, all that stuff. I was talking to another lawyer who said that, no, she says she likes to think of herself as a barracuda. So she comes in, she doesn't make a lot of fuss. And then she, she attacks and she leaves really quick. You know, you want that precision. You want to know when to fight, know when to go in for what you need and then let the rest go. And so most of my clients, we align that way. And I try to do with my social media in my consults, you know, really try to make sure that we're aligned there. It doesn't always work. You know, some of the best intended couples end up just at war, you know, and, and it just, sometimes it just happens and you're, you're just in that. But for the most part, you know, I love collaborative law and I don't know. I do too. Washington. Well, in Florida, you have to have a special license. Oh, you don't here, but you have to have the certain training. You know, we have a statute and there's, Training involved. Yeah. I love collaborative certificate. Law. It might be a certificate, not a license, but but the problem is, it's like average cost is fifteen thousand dollar per person, mm-hmm. so not even per couple. Which for a high asset couple, way cheaper than litigation, a hundred percent. But for me, though, I you know, being a newer law firm, I'm not necessarily attracting you know the million dollar assets and stuff. But for your regular standard couple, you know. Upper middle a lot of process. That's a lot of money. And I, you know, so what I try, I tell people is like, I bring a collaborative spirit to my cases. Maybe it's collaborative light. I, first thing I do in every case is call the OC, the opposing counsel immediately. Um, I'm still trying to get to know everybody around the community. You know how family law communities are pretty small, but just start off on the, you know, in the beginning, try to build, it doesn't always work. Right. It doesn't always happen. But you just try to plant seeds. And I believe like every little bit will add up somewhere. Absolutely. Well, and I have to tell you, as a person who, like you, you know, I came to Seattle. I was totally new. I didn't know anybody. Like, here I am in Seattle, moved here and, you know, started a law firm. I definitely am a firm believer in getting to know your opposing counsel. And even those people who... It doesn't go well at first or they're super contentious. I mean, I, you know, being a good Southern girl, I'm all about fried chicken. And I was like, you cannot get upset over a fried chicken lunch. So like I would invite people to lunch and, you know, it was like, we are going to find some common ground here because I found that if I could find common ground with that opposing attorney, it made all the difference in the world. Even if that opposing attorney is a, 
pit bull, like on steroids. You know, right, right, which there are some for sure. Oh my gosh, there are some. And it's, I mean, now it's kind of fun to me in the sense of, obviously I've worked a lot as a guardian ad litem and parenting yeah. evaluator. So, you know, you get to kind of come in and see how the attorneys work, you know, yes. on both sides. Oh, and that's some true. of those pit bull attorneys, I mean, one, I kind of love to refer certain cases to them, certain cases that come in our office. I'm like, oh, no, I am not your girl, but I yeah. know that you're your girl. I do that, too. I turn yeah. cases down for sure. Oh, yeah. I think that that is so important when you talk about your alignment. Well, you mentioned when we before we got on that you've worked with um, Melissa at Velocity. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that, because I think a lot of small firm and newer owners don't know about the benefits of coaching. And I mean, I am a huge Melissa Shanahan fan. Like I just, Melissa is amazing. She is truly like, I mean, her talent for coaching is, is just, and I, you know, I did some life coaching. I've done a little dabble. I even tried to do a little life coaching myself when I was home on maternity leave, you know, I kind of tried everything. She's phenomenal. And I doubled my revenue working with her. She's insane. She's, I mean, it's, and the best part of working with her over at Velocity Work is the other attorneys that I've met that we have, uh, this mastery group is what she calls it. And we've actually, a group of us have become very close friends and we actually meet on our own every week, do our Monday mapping and our planning for the next week together on zoom. And we're going to all get together in the fall to do like an in-person retreat together. And it like, yeah. And as a law firm owner, especially virtual space, or I'm not a solo anymore, but, but it, you know, it's isolating. You know, you don't, I was, I, I came up in the public defender's office, you know, I had 30 attorneys in that building that I could go at any point in time and ask them a question when it's just you or you're the boss. It's like, uh, So, and what's nice about philosophy work is we're all spread out over the country. So there's no competition for business. These are the most generous human beings. And it's just really provided me with a community. And then Melissa though, she's kind of (laughs) like, no nonsense. You know, she believes in self-development. She's very big on that, but she's also very like drills down on numbers. And so as you probably can tell, I'm a very high emotional IQ type of person. That's my strength. Maybe not so much numbers and metrics and things like that. So she's really made me though good at that. So to be a good business owner though, I have to know my numbers. Absolutely. And we do quarterly planning and we measure our numbers every month. And, you know, and so she's made, I think she's been a huge part, her and then my mentor, Nancy Brodsky. And now she runs a coaching program as well. It's for mentoring other female family law attorneys. I don't think it has to be female. It just happens to all be, but it's called The Secret to Your Success. And she and her partner of her law firm do coaching for, and so I go to her though more on state specific law. And then Melissa's more my business guru. So I'm a huge believer in coaching. So I I do make an investment there, but it's made all the difference. Oh, I mean, it's paid in spades if when you double your oh. revenue. Like, I mean, yeah. yeah. Which it helped me believe I could do it. Like, you know, I, and I know a lot of solo attorneys who I will just be frank, they're probably a better attorney than me, right? right. They're really, really, really smart. 
but they haven't broken out of the mentality that they have to do everything for themselves. Right. So the best thing I ever did was hire my team. Now my business models all contract mm-hmm. right now. We're all virtual. Eventually I want to, I do want to get to the point where they're my employees because I believe like you do very, very strongly and benefits and supporting them. But at this point in time, where we're at in our growth. Yep. It's all contract, but they, I have a paralegal who came in with 20 years of experience. Wow. So she revolutionized and I went through some, you know, bumpy roads oh, yeah. <laughs> and she like changed my entire life. And, but here's the thing I've attracted good talent because I'm fully virtual and I'm family first. So, and I know that that aligns with you. And that's one of the things. So one of the things I aspire for you is we have the same kind of mentality with family law, but also the way that you treat your team, the way you value your, you know, the values your law firm has, like that is absolutely 100% what I've always sort of envisioned wanting to create, Uh, you know, I want my law firm to empower my team. Totally. Yeah. And so if that's something that I just believe in, I've been able to attract really, I mean, I have associate attorneys who work on cases with me and they're great, but I, because I let them work from home, I let them set their own schedules as long as they're available. I tell them, I want you picking your kid up from the bus. If that's, what's important to you. I want you taking time off to go to do things with your children. As long as my assistant, my admin her little baby girl has a little desk next to hers at the house and they work the same time. I love it. You know, I want that. I, cause I, this is my home office. Like I said earlier, we have a space where we meet with clients when we need to, we'll be down to next tomorrow, all day mediation. I have a client wants to be in person. So we'll be together, but my kids, they're my number one, you know, and every, I want to lock eyes with those guys when they come home from school. And so, you know, but I want that for my team as well. Like I, so I feel like paying it forward, you know, and paying them well. Yes. (laughs) Oh, it's huge. I mean, I just think the team part of this whole thing, it inspires me. It keeps me awake at night. It brings me to tears at times when I'm dealing with problems. Like the team part of all this is by far for me, like the hugest investment of everything, you know, like I just feel like it is a, it's just constant. I mean, and it is absolutely my greatest joy every day and also my greatest sorrow some days, you know what yes, I mean? It's hard. I've been, that's been what I've been dealing with this year as we've gotten a bigger team because for a while it was just me and Brainy and we were cooking, you know, yeah. and now we get bigger and bigger and there's new challenges. There are. Zapathon is back. If you're new around here, the Zapathon is the OG automation workshop. At this next exclusive guild event, we're partnering up with Maximum Lawyer's good friend, Kelsey Bratcher, to bring you a day and a half automation workshop. The idea of automation is simple, right? Identify a repeatable pattern of tasks and then use technology so that business process can happen without you. But setting up that technology can be daunting, time consuming, and even have a steep learning curve. Join us in person and you'll create automations on site that will start working for you before you even leave Austin. Join the guild today and grab your ticket at maxlawevents.com. We lost a team member. She left. She got a better opportunity and, you know, and it was devastating. You know, you just go and then, but then we, her replacement is wonderful. You know, right. and it, it's, 
but it's a little of a roller coaster. It, oh, I think the people part are absolutely a roller coaster, but it's, it has been, I mean, for me, at least, like I thought raising these six kids and launching kids into the world was hard. Literally, it is nothing compared to what it is. How big is your team now? This team right now, I think we're around 36-ish, but it is this, like you mentioned, having a team member leave and that just being kind of devastating. But it's so interesting because like, At first, for me, it was devastating when somebody left. Now I have this whole new perspective of I love when people leave and go to a better opportunity or they go to something where they're really aligned with what they're doing. We've had people leave to go on to graduate school or go to back to college or whatever it is. Or some people just leave and they want to they maybe they don't want to do leadership and they were in leadership here and they want to just do the legal work. And so they're at a firm where they're only doing legal work. And it's like every time somebody leaves and then every time somebody comes, I feel like we get more and more and more aligned, like we are getting better and better and better at it. And I mean, obviously, all the past people errors. Like if I hired somebody that was a a bad fit, they're so all on me. Yeah. And that has been powerful. That whole, I don't know if you've read, there's a book, I think it's called Extreme Ownership. It's by Jocko, I forget his last name, Willem. Making me think of that Radical Candor book that you read. Well, it's a little different, but I love Radical Candor. But Extreme Ownership is literally written by this guy who was a Navy SEAL. And it's all about truly like there is no such thing as a bad team. There's a bad leader. And his book discusses this in over and over chapter by chapter. They show you how it worked in Iraq with their teams. And then they show you how it carries over into business. It is so powerful to truly embrace that extreme ownership mentality and realize like every darn problem goes right back to my doorstep. Do you know what I mean? Whereas every success, I need to look out the window and I see my team succeeding. And really embracing that has been so powerful. Wow. No, and I I was raised that way because my mom was ran a tight ship at the clerk's office. (laughs) I think some of the judges are like afraid of her because she was very like, but she was always like, you own it. So I, you know, when I went in and let's say my legal secretary hadn't done what she was, but I took ownership for that with the yep. judge. Totally. I did it. And I carried that into my law firm. Yes. So I, the buck stops with me, but I, and I, it's just so funny you're saying all this because we've had some challenges and oh, yeah. guess who, that's who made the decisions right. and the radical candor part of it. I really have to work on that because I am a people pleaser. Totally big surprise, you know? And so, you know, being able to effectively communicate, but in a compassionate way, yes, you know, it's is, so is hard. on my list for this year to really develop that as a leader. Because even when I was at the public defender's office, at one point in time, I was running one of the satellite offices for a small county, which oh. meant I did it all. But in the office, we were with another county. So there was two counties in one office. And like every morning, all the legal secretaries would like hang out in my office and we would do like a book club. And I was always get, you know, motivational speeches and stuff. And I just have, I, and I used to love because we would get tons of interns from the law school at Florida because we were in Gainesville. And I always loved working with the interns. So I do have a 
a call to leadership. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, I really do want to develop those skills. I um, think that is such an important, such important time spent, money spent. Developing yeah. leadership is, I think, really one of the highest things you can do right now, exactly where you okay. are with that team of six, mm-hmm. you know, because it will keep growing. And if right. you, as you develop that leadership, it is going to revolutionize how that growth occurs you know, bumpy or not bumpy right. or less bumpy, less bumpy. I, that would be nice. Cause sometimes it's a little, okay. But you know, the thing with me is the resiliency piece has come into play with this because there are been moments, this has not been easy. And so, and I picked a really challenging area of the law. Completely. And so, yeah. So, I mean, to just really have only had the experience of my own case, really. I mean, and of course you, you have a little overlap when you're involved with the state for as long as I was, but it has, but the sense of just get up every day, just like I stay sober every day. It's just every day. I'm back at my desk. Here we go again. We're going to get through today. And then, you know, and just, that's what carries you forward to your success is just not quitting. Oh, I guess keep going and letting go of the need to be perfect and do everything perfect and be seen perfect. So everybody gives me a lot of compliments on my social media, because I do some videos, I do two videos a week. And I feel like they're a hot mess. I just get on there and talk. I don't have a script. I'm just getting and but people resonate with just it's just me or maybe some people think they are better than they are. I don't know. But you just have to like you have to let go of needing to be perfect. I think a lot of attorneys shy away from that opportunity to put themselves out there. Oh, I mean, I did for years. I mean, I would not well, get on I love your videos. Because you're, you're, you know, endearing. You're, you know, you're, you're candor. I just hated on a video. Well, nobody likes it. I was not terrified fun. of video. And then finally, I mean, my team really was like, at least you're going to have to get over this. Like, yes. you know, you just are going to have to do it. I really want to encourage you. There is another book I think you would love. You and I are so similar in that just leading with heart kind of thing. And that is the name of the book, Leading with Heart. I think it's written by somebody. His first name is John. And his last name, I think, starts with a B. I have a memory of that. But I'd have to go look and look it up. But it is such a good read. You know, because I think there's so much out there on leadership with that whole command and control leadership. And it's like, neither of us are going to be command and control leaders. Like that is not what's going to work. And it's interesting, I think, in developing this new law firm culture, I mean, virtual, where you're focused on your family and your team's family, that's not normal. Like that is abnormal law firm culture. So all the advice that comes in, you know, a lot of it is old stuff, you know, and it's how... Other law firms are run. And so that has been, for me at least, a big struggle is realizing that almost all the advice out there is going to go contrary to how I think it should go. Right. I mean, I'm out here in the world trying to figure out how do I get my whole team to 32 hours a week? I'm like, who came up with 40 hours anyway? I have no idea who came up with that and why it's a thing. But it's stupid for full-time moms 40 hours working is hard to also do all your other mom stuff. 
And so I am like, I mean, my poor leadership team, because I'm like, well, why can't we do this in 32 hours? Like, where is that rule? It can work. I mean, I'm like, let's just figure it out. Like, I'm over this 40 hour thing because I personally like 32 hours better myself and my kids are grown and gone. Yeah, we we quit it. We try to keep Friday as light as possible and wrap things up Friday morning. And then I tell them all, like, I don't expect you to be working Friday afternoon if you want to. Right. Free. But, you know, I don't want them. I, I want them to. I do want them to know it's different here. Yeah. You know, I, I like pride myself on that. And so far, it really does seem to like develop like this loyalty because I think they'd have to tell you, but I think most of my team feels appreciated right. and they feel valued and I pay them well. And so that was the other thing. Like, I don't want to get into specific numbers, but I've had conversations with other trainers. They're like, that's how much you're paying your paralegal. I'm like, yeah. And I, I would pay her more, you know, I mean, she's worth her weight in gold. Like I don't get the mentality. Oh, don't even get me started on coaches and there you should pay, you know, a fifth of what they bring in. I'm like, Excuse me? Yeah, like, I just, that's I, so exploitive. I just yeah. think it's awful. How do you get loyalty and like, you know, because like I feel like Brandy's going to catch a bullet for me one day. You know what I mean? Not really, but she would do anything for me and I would do anything for her. So, you know, that's the kind of team that you have to have, you know, and things. I just went on a girl's trip this past. I took off Wednesday and I came back yesterday. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Charleston, South Carolina. It was bad. I'm never- going in a few weeks. You're going to have to give me. Oh, I'm going to give you all the recommendations. Yes. Oh my gosh. At least you're going to love it. it. I'm so excited. I just, for some reason, I've never been. Like I'm a huge fan of Savannah and New Orleans. And yeah. I love that vibe. And But I never made it over there. So we just, it's amazing. But to be able to leave. Right. And honestly, I think it probably ran better without me there. And I, I'm, I'm, I am totally okay to admit that that's the truth. Yeah. But yeah. you know, to finally be able to do that and I'm still making money while I'm gone, which is right. like the other part of like, when you're a solo, like everything's on you. So like, that was the big thing with Melissa Shanahan. I should have said, she really got me to see delegation was the key. Oh. Getting a team, delegating, delegating, delegating. Like that was it's hard to give up control. It is, you know, but once you start, it's like drugs. You're like, yeah, this is awesome. I was <laughs> like, going to say that can be, God. that can be the addiction. That's good. Is the delegation addiction. Do you might be asking, do you still take on any casework? Are you just managing the business now? I mostly just manage the business every so often. I mean, we've had a massive issue with capacity, like probably over the last year, we'll hit a capacity ceiling where my, team will be like, I can't take any more cases. And it kind of pains me how many cases we refer out to our competitors. Like I'll just be referring out and referring out. And so every so often I'll be like, okay, I'll take on a few cases. Cause I know that, you know, you can see cases that are closing. So I'm like, right. I'll take on a few and then be able to pass them off, you know, for a bit. Right. And sometimes people will come in very specifically, like, you know, they don't want to go to court. They truly are in these like high conflict co-parenting type things. And they're like, at least I just need some education. Like, cause I write emails that like send my spouse to the moon and I don't mean to do that. And they're like, if you could just like help me with some of that. And then I also do some parenting coordination work. And so 
you know, where I am actually hired, you know, in that post-dissolution to try to help people figure out, same thing, that education piece. I mean, my biggest goal is to help people, like, can we please tone down the conflict and let's figure out how can we actually move forward because you people are destroying your children's psychological well-being. Oh, 100%. That's why I tell them all the time, it's not the divorce that hurts them. It's the level of conflict present, whether you're married or divorced. Exactly. Some marriages are a war zone, you know? Exactly. And that's not good either. You know, so, but that, I think for me, I'm actually going to be doing mediation training this summer. I'm going to, I'm going to try my hand at being a mediator. I don't know. I I feel like I have the right, but I know that's a whole different skill set. So the way I look at it, if I end up mediating and building that into my practice, great, or it'll just make me better for my clients mediation because almost all of my cases settle. Like I'm really good at getting my clients to a deal. And, um, and I want to get better and better and better at my skills on that. So, totally. but I, did you, did you do mediation? Oh yeah. I mean, it's well, hard, no, right? I mean, it's I've done the mediation easy. training, but I've never, I mean, I've done mediation in the sense of like, you know, obviously in my work as a guardian ad litem, a lot of times I'm the one having to go back and forth and deal with, you know, the parents and, but no, I've never worked as a mediator. I've just, wow. it's how it's Thank something you. I've kind of stayed away from. I've thought about it. I worry about though my ability to manage it from a the finances part and being able to really dig in and deal with all that. Like that's not stuff I love, you know, where I'm going to be fighting about, you know, restricted stock units and like yes. all of those things. And that's so true. When you get into that level, it's like, whoa. Yeah. It's a lot. That's it's, yeah. It's from a parenting about. plan. I mean, I could mediate parenting plans, you know, all day long. But you know, the other stuff is not stuff that I'm as thrilled with, you know, from a mediation standpoint. And so, but I think for you, the mediation training is going to be wildly helpful. Right. That's kind of, and just, I know like there's a lot for dealing with high conflict personalities and, you know, being more effective communication because you always end up, no matter how good you are at screening people, you just end up with high conflict clients, you know, and you got to learn how to deal with them in a more appropriate way than losing your, you know, cool or not that I would, but even just so it's more enjoyable for me. Cause that, that part of it, I don't enjoy. Exactly. Well, and I don't know if you've looked into any of the parenting coordination courses. Yeah, but I might have to. I, might I have really to. think about that. And there's a, a lady there in Florida. I think her name is Deborah Carr. Maybe I, I can look it up and give you her name. She runs a lot of parenting coordination classes out of Florida. And then there's also a lady in Virginia who does really good work. But both of those courses would benefit you so much in your practice, just helping you teach. How do you teach that de-conflict and that de-escalation, you know, and how do you help people do that. And so that I think is a really strong skill set, especially for somebody like you, who is so emotionally intelligent, like you would find it, I think, pretty fulfilling because you can actually really watch people develop these skills. I mean, I had somebody this weekend send out an email that was like super like constructive and like, let's resolve this. Here's my proposal. And I was like, whoa, where did this come from? I was like, look at you go now. 
Whereas before it just would have been war, 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 war. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And that's so rewarding. Yeah. I, and yeah. I have, I do end up with some consulting, like you were talking about, I have cases where right. they don't want to go back to, to right. litigation, and she, but she wants to change the agreement. So he does, she doesn't know I'm involved, but right. I'm over here just giving her advice, talking about things, giving her ideas, and she's paying me for my time. And I love it. Oh, I, yeah. I love working with people on that, helping them see things from a different perspective. But, you know, I don't love litigation. It's I, I really think that we need to change the way family law is handled. And I, I know a lot of people make a lot of money, but but there there's got there should just be a way that you can opt in or opt out. Oh, or, I mean, I just think without, litigation is I mean, it is 30 grand as a couple to do it. You know, because that's the collaborative option, which is just too much for a lot of couples, you know, and it's it, it really closes the door for that opportunity for them. So then what, you know, so and I do a lot of attorney settlement, you know, where I try to just settle the case uh, without and then file everything after we have a settlement. In fact, we have probably half of our cases because I attract. Right. That's who I attract. You know, you're not coming to me if what you want to do is go for blood. And I'm very open about that. Like, oh, I don't yeah. pretend to be. But that doesn't mean we aren't aggressive when we need to be. It doesn't mean we can't be strong where it's where it's warranted. There are times like, for instance, I have a terrible, terrible parental alienation case going on. And my clients, the father and the mother has kept the kids from him and we have to litigate it. But yeah. because I'm not fighting every little case like that, I have saved up all of that for his case. You know what I mean? I do. And I can use it because, and he's in the program, he has two and a half years of sobriety. And he's, um, those are, those are the cases. Like I want to fight for people to have another chance. Like I did. Absolutely. You know? Because well, my kids, husband could have tried to use it against me, and we didn't. We never did that with each other. Well, and the kids deserve that. They deserve their healthy dad. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, absolutely. It is in that the thing. thought that parents can't make mistakes and then improve. Just, I mean, that's one of the areas as a guardian ad litem. When I look at a lot of, you know, I get hired as an expert to review other guardian ad litem reports. And I feel like a lot of people will look at a past mistake and it's almost like a gotcha. Like they're like, oh, look at this person. They did something bad. And I'm like, who of us has not made a massive mistake? Like, I don't know. I mean, all of us have, it seems to me. And if every single one of us who has made a mistake got our children, like, you know, taken away or whatever, it's like, come on. Absolutely. Children need to be safe. Don't get me wrong. They should not be driven, you know, in drunk cars. And do you know what I mean? There's absolute safety that must happen. But I mean, you look at CPS manages to give people visitation, even that's when. What's, I mean, yeah. And that's what's so crazy with parental alienation is these kids do not want to see their dad. Right. To me, that's the first sign because even kids, because I've done enough around in Florida, it's called Department of Children and Families, DCF. I've seen foster kids that were horribly abused, but still want to be reunited with their family. So when you've got kids coming from a very well-to-do or normal upper middle class, and they just think dad is the demon, that's coming from mom. That's not coming from their experience. Not every time, but definitely in this case. And that's why I keep harping on with my judge. Something's not right here. There's been no abuse. And these kids do not want to see their father and kids want their father. So what's happening, you know, in the background here, but it's so hard to prove. 
It is. And it's so expensive to prove. And so a parental alienation eval down here starts at 12,000. And, you know, what are we doing? And it's not serving these two young girls, I'll tell you that. And they're going to grow up with a lot of problems. I don't know. I tell my clients, though, the family law system is not designed to solve problems. No, not at it all. It makes them worse. So the more you can take your case out of that system and make your own rules and make your own decisions, you're winning. Definitely. Oh, I mean, it is such a, I mean, it is, the system is so flawed. I mean, radically disrupting how family law is practiced is, you know, kind of like my secret life goal, but it is, I mean, what a hard system to really turn on its head. I think because so many lawyers, I mean, benefit from the nonsense of. They do. I went to, do you guys have like the end of court? Is that everywhere? You know, I'm, I'm such a Florida girl. So I go to the end of court. I don't know if we have it here in Washington. I don't know. Okay. It's like, you know, a group of, of judges and lawyers, they get together and law students. And um, my group, we had to present on collaborative law. And I was floored by how many in my group don't like collaborative law. They collaborative family law. Right. They were like, oh, it's it's such crap. It's like, you know, and I'm like thinking it's the greatest idea ever. I just right. wish it was cheaper. Right. No, they don't like it. They don't trust it. You know, they've made their money this way and they don't like, you know, the lack of, you know, being able to fight. It's right. so hard for lawyers to like wrap their head around it. But I think it's the way of the future. I think we've got to make it more accessible. So I don't know how you do that, but I want to be a part of making that happen down here. And I, you know, and that's the thing, like, I do try to be a little bit of a different voice. I think you get some pushback, you know, okay. you get snickers from people. Oh, okay. Whatever. You know, because family law will, we know you can do snickers. You're totally yes. fine. Like bring it on. Exactly. exactly. You know, and I don't pretend to be anybody that I'm not. So, and I do think that, you know, that people resonate with me on that. So they Absolutely. know like working with me, it's going to be the real deal. No, I'm not, you know, like full of shit lawyers. We're all tired of that. You know, just tired of Yeah. Like why, why? This is why they hate us. You know, just be a nice person. Well, and I, I mean, I think it ties back to the substance abuse thing too, though. Don't you think lawyers have this insane, like where they try to be like perfect and they put all this substance abuse that's going on. Oh, it's prolific. Like the numbers don't lie. I don't know exactly what they are. And that is another thing I really am hoping as I am able to step away from less casework right. and do more speaking, especially to law schools yep. with the kids coming out, because I was only three years into my practice when I got my DUI and it was devastating. I mean, I had to do the whole bar inquiry. Oh, yeah. It was humiliating, you know, all of that stuff. But I, you know, I was going through a divorce. I was 29 years old. I was young. You know, it's, it's, it's just tough. And these kids, they're, they don't even know what they're getting themselves into. None of it. And, you know, I feel like lawyers, we have like, we have issues. We're in, most of us go to law school either to make a difference or get approval or both. Right. Exactly. You know? Which means we got lots of issues that could be ripe for self-medicating because that doesn't come from nowhere, anywhere, you know, that comes from having yeah. lived through some, totally. and the reason we're able to be resilient and get through something as tough as law school and bar exams and billable hour criteria that, you know, new associates have to meet. Not, you know, it is so hard. It is. 
layer in some pissed off clients and family law and you've got a recipe. In fact, I will tell you this. I will say this, this should be the radical candor. This experience of opening my law practice has challenged my sobriety the most. I have been sober for 13 years, but I have had to step up my self-care since I opened my practice because being a, when you work for the government, I don't know, I hate to say that there's just not the same pressure because it's like, you know, I get paid, what I get paid, you know, and then whether I do 50 cases or five, you know, and there's also a level, I think as a public defender, you're kind of like, they made these bad choices. I'm not really responsible for what happens, you know, but when you're a private lawyer and, you know, you have a team depending on you for their livelihoods, you need to attract clients. You know, you've got to work, you know, it, they're, they're contentious. The clients are upset is the level of stress. And, and I take it on very, I care about my clients and my team and I care about my clients, kids. And, you know, and it's just, oh my gosh. So I had to, in a new way, like really dial into my own self-care. I would just, you know, I just could see myself like, you know, I could just see myself going down the wrong road. Yep. Oh and yeah. So, I really, I got back with my therapist that I had worked with years ago when I first sobered up. Um, I meet with her every other week. Yeah, I bring in the troops. Like, I don't pretend like I've, you know, got it all going on and, and, you know, working out and taking care of my nutrition and going on this girl's trip I just went on and, you know, really also dialing into my marriage because nothing makes you appreciate your marriage like watching other divorces all day. Oh, completely. Like, oh my gosh. It was like the best thing for us. Like every day I'm like, well, I love you so much. And of course my first marriage gave me a lot of education on that too. But, you know, I don't know. It, it's, this is hard. This is the most challenging thing. I think it's been far and away more challenging than getting sober. And some of the other things I've had to face running my own law firm has been hard. It's I'll not hard. the faint of heart at all. Oh man. No, it isn't. And that, that's just been, yeah, but it's rewarding. It is. I know like we'll have been open three years in August. We're so new and you know, we're just growing and it's working and people are, you know, and so I do feel like, okay, even on the hardest days, like, okay, you know, you're doing this and it's going to get better and you're home with your kids. Right. Huge. Well, I'm just so glad. I'm so glad you're working with Melissa and found such a core group of other owners. That is such an important thing to not be alone in this journey because it is. And they all know my story. I'm really open with it to everybody. So it's like, you know, even for them, like, you know, because lawyers are out there struggling. Totally. Big time. Oh, it kind of cracks me up sometimes when people, they act like, you know, you're like, if you have success and I put that in air quotes that somehow you're sitting around like doing nothing and life is good. And it's just like, are we kidding? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was like, problems, it's, it's I just mean, level challenges. Exactly. And then, you know, you have to get yourself to that point. And I think, I think that's, what's been happening for me this particular year. I don't know what it's just been really, really challenging. It's just forced me to just grow and pull myself up even more. I think having a team is a a whole new level of challenge and just what you're dealing with. There's just so much. Yes. So, so much. And 
I mean, I'm just so glad you're working with Melissa because so many law firm owners at your stage, they're like, oh, I shouldn't hire a coach. And I'm like, oh, yes, you should. It's like oh, I did it way back when yeah. I've been with her for like two years. I mean, almost right at the beginning, like, I think I was only open for like six months. And I don't even think I told her that. I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I knew I knew like, I resonated with her so much on her podcast. But like I said, I heard her talk to you. And I was like, who's this Elise lady? Because like she or everything I had in my mind. And so honestly, like I have followed you. I've tried to emulate, you know, your values. Like you are a leading voice for those of us in this space. And I so appreciate what you're what you're doing. Well, like, I, I do that. I really do. And I just I'm so excited for you and watching your success. And I'm just thrilled. And the more people we can send to Melissa, the better. Cause I yes. just think Melissa. Join is us. Velocity work is the best. Yeah. And I know a lot of them are in maximum lawyer too. Oh, yeah. And they love maximum lawyer. Yeah. And you know, there's something out there for everybody, but Melissa is, it's such a great community. You can't it beat is. it. And her skills are I don't know. She is just really gifted at what she does. And, you know, it's so inspiring to be around somebody who's in their zone of greatness and watching them. And she's like that. She shows up. She's present. It's not fluff. She's real. Like it's the real deal. And it's required me to level up. And, it, you know, and I like that. I like that challenge in it. Yeah, I love that. Well, I just cannot thank you enough for joining me today. And I hope you have an amazing week. Back at work, where we you know, hit the ground running with our you know normal Monday morning team meeting, and they're like, oh, I get to go talk to Elise today. I'm so so excited. Yeah. Well, I'm going to send you, you. Well, definitely, and I'm going to send you some of that information, and I'm going to look for your information on Charleston because I'm totally going. I'm going to give you some great recommendations. Awesome. Thank okay. You so much Have for having me. Okay. okay. You too. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.